Hello and welcome to episode 156 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week, we're going to be joined by Alex Morgan, the editor at Quake's Epicenter and co-host of the Aftershock Podcast. You can give them a follow at Quake's Epicenter to get us all prepped for the weekend's match versus the San Jose Earthquakes. As always, my name is Jonathan Reimer. Joining me this evening, none other than Christian Aparicio. Good evening, sir. Good, man. Doing well. Looking forward to the podcast and talking some LAFC. It's not like we play every week, twice a week, but can't stop talking about it anyway. Every three days for now until the end of the foreseeable future, it seems like. Yes, it's it's going to be difficult for us to keep up with a once a week pod with, you know, three games a week. But we are going to do our best to recap everything and preview at least the big weekend games as we get through this very congested portion of the schedule. So let's go ahead and dial it back. Since our last recording, we have two dubs to talk about. Very, very similar feeling to our last show. However, in this case, one of these was one of the wildest games we have seen LAFC play since perhaps that epic MLS final. This on a slightly smaller stage and be slightly smaller stage. I mean, the tiny confines of Monterey Bay, but the black and gold, at least a version of it, went up to Northern California, came home with a win in the U.S. Open Cup. So, Christian, let's dive into the 2-2 win on penalties for LAFC. My friend, what is your takeaway from the match? I just hope Monterey Bay appreciates the amount of people that went up for an away game. That was, to me, very surprising. I think it helped that LAFC was in town to sell out their match. I don't think they sell out every game, but it does seem like they have good support. Main takeaways were just, you no know, heart, grit, dedication, determination, figuring out a way to win when the record for the young lads hasn't been that way, even though they played well. So trying to, you know, get some of that mystique of not having the two within the shield, taking that off, just gave them a little bit extra oomph. And hopefully now that tracks into their shield where it has LAFC too. But nonetheless, they did everybody proud. They exceeded expectations and they showed a uh, fight. And we're able to get a result because you said, you know, our keeper, our 38-year-old Jedi Master was able to, you know, do some things between the sticks and figure it out, both scoring and saving a couple. The Elden Statesman of the group, one might say, Elden Yakupovich, my goodness, have yourself a game. When you think about it, in the entire starting lineup, he could have... Not even a stretch. He is old enough to have been the father of every single other player on the team that went up there to Monterey Bay. You got a bunch of under 20s and you have the 38, 39 year old Yakupovich there. And, you know, he's out there making saves, Marshall in the back line. And then, of course, when it comes to penalties, not only scoring one, but saving the penalty to win the match as well, too. It was a wild game. And let's be honest, there were a lot of people in the black and gold community that were very, very frustrated when those first little media pictures came out. We saw the team heading up north and we're looking at these pictures going, there's a lot of people that don't recognize these faces unless you've been out to Titan Stadium and been following LAFC too. But the Cracklitos, those boys, they showed up and they put on a heck of a show. Obviously, LAFC too, as, as we discussed on our last show with Marco Garces, They've been having a lot of difficulty that they have faced at the onset of this season. And one thing that a lot of people really have not brought up, and I think is 
key when we're assessing the performance of LAFC2 is to remember that we are playing a U20 team for our LAFC2. And so many of these other teams, both in USL and, of course, at the MLS Next Pro level, are fielding teams that have a regular age group to them, right? You got 25, 30-year-old players, players that are just outside of the first team. We are one of the only teams to be basically playing the next step of our academy at, at Next Pro level. And we have gone completely youth in that league. And a bunch of 20-year-olds are not going to be able to have the same physical presence in a match that a 25, 30-year-old with five more, 10 more years of experience and physicality are going to be able to compete at. So when LAFC2, if we think of it from a results standpoint, like you're looking at people playing against an average team age of five to six years older than them. Do you think that's a fair assessment, my friend? Yeah, no, I think that's spot on, right? And Physically, I think at times you could tell that they were not at the same level in terms of strength, right? But I think in terms of being youthful and having tenacity, I think they played to those strengths to stay in the game after they went down in extra time. So I think that was helpful. And also it was, what was huge is I think the mental aspect, right? The confidence that this builds. Because, you know, like Marco Garces said in last episode 155, that's one of the things that is part of the growth of these young players is being able to work through their progress, their process, and also sometimes not getting results or not being successful kind of dampers what maybe they thought was a good progress on the field, but not getting the result, right? Because everybody plays to win. So being able to do that is going to translate. And it, they're always going to have this memory where they went up to the first team for the rest of their lives. Let's say for someone who doesn't pan out. The rest of their lives are going to have this one moment where they were able to wear the first team kit and get in a way first team victory in the U.S. Open Cup. Yeah, uh, look, this is not something I think at the onset of the game, we really expected these kids to be able to step up and take care of what they needed to take care of. It was an impressive performance all around, and there were definitely some standouts on the night for me. I don't know about you, but you know, when we're looking at this starting eleven. I think a lot of us were excited to see, you know, look, the likes of uh, a Nathan Ordaz and the like be able to step in and, and really step up for this team. It, it was an oppressive performance for us. I thought Danny Chrysostomo played really well. Eric Duenas had a fantastic game as well, too. Torres obviously gets himself the goal. Nathan Ordaz, my goodness, what a coming out party for him as well, too. The future is bright. Yes, it's going to be a challenge for them to take on talent that's five or six years older than them, but the fight, grit, determination, and just ability to rep the crest out there in, for many of these players, their first ever first team minutes, it was really impressive. I do think we didn't plan on winning the game. It's a great thing that we won it, but I think you could tell that LAFC was like, look, you know, there's six cups to win this year if you include the conference championship, really five tournaments that we're playing in. And we don't have a squad to play in five tournaments. So you look, we'll, we'll let the next pro kids go out there and have a fun game versus Monterey. If we advance, cool. If we don't, then it'll be a breather. And I almost don't think the club was expecting for us to go up there and get a win. You're sending a squad that has, has never won at the developmental level against a team that is a tier above them in the U.S. soccer pyramid. So for us to come out with a win means we have 
perhaps the likeliest of opponents coming up next, though. In a draw that no one, myself includes, believes was an actual draw. But we are now facing the Carson Galaxy next week in a match that is going to be sandwiched in between a league game and our CCL finals game. So the question comes, Christian, look, the kids did a great job versus Monterey Bay. What game of all these upcoming games are you going to rest the senior squad and give those kids another chance? Yeah, good question. And I know we'll talk to Alex coming up here, but I feel even though we just played against San Jose, right, and didn't get the result we wanted up in the Bay Area, I almost favor resting that game, going full squad in the Derby, resting again or rotating the, the league match thereafter. And then playing our full squad again against Leon, right? I want one week. I, I don't think there roster. is, there is not a MLS match between the U.S. Open Cup and Leon, if memory serves correct. Let okay. me double check that actually, because I'm pretty sure on this. But well, uh, I mean, it's so. I feel like this schedule is so double stuffed. That, I mean, you might be right, but that is what I prefer anyway. One week out, right? One week out, having full squad, getting them a full week of practice. And then I was right. I was right. There is no match between the Galaxy and away in Leon. So they have a full seven days off there. So I, I would imagine going to play for sure. Full squad's going to play against yeah. the Galaxy. What I'm not sure of are the two games this week. A time of recording is Monday. So we have a match Wednesday that will probably come out right around the same time as this podcast versus Sporting Kansas City. And then we have the game on the weekend versus San Jose. And then a Tuesday game versus the Galaxy. You can't play the full squad on Saturday and on Tuesday. Two days off in between is just not enough time to rest. So I, I think I might have to agree with you, and we'll certainly want to see what our opcore thinks about this, but it might be the kids at home versus San Jose, and that's going to yeah. be interesting. We're also I coming think... off short rest from the game on the weekend before we go into this match versus Sporting, too, so who knows? Exactly. And I feel like it's funny and it's going to sound like an excuse, but I, I do feel like San Jose, at least for their home match, they're fortunate every year with the scheduling. Because I, I always feel like somehow our squad is on like three days rest for the last four years playing against them. I think the last time it was just not, no like U.S. Open Cup or anything before it was that 2019 majestic, ridiculous hat trick where we took over and made that place shake. Yeah, or Carlos Vela's road cones and, and you know, right. I mean, I feel like the San Jose game seems to always come right within a week of a Derby versus Carson or a big game in another competition. And, you know, look, props to San Jose. They showed up, they played their opponent, they got us at a good time, good for them. Moving on, we had another game to recap, and that was a 3-0 drubbing versus RSL. And I'm going to come out, folks, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. I was completely wrong in my prediction of this game. I predicted that we were going to have a heavy rotation on the back line with Maldonado stepping in for an injured Murillo and an injured Chiellini, meaning that Long and Maldonado was the back line. And I anticipated that back line was going to give up a couple goals, maybe one versus RSL. I did not think we were going to come out of there with a clean sheet and a 3-0 win. So I count myself graciously surprised in this case but my friend what are your thoughts on three goals in sandy utah yeah i think maldonado is learning from the other center backs but also i think that our video room must be awesome because i think he matured over one match so quickly to be able to play so well and aaron long also 
helped him out. And yes, did LAFC maybe suffer at times during that match? And did we score a goal here and there against the run of play? Um, yeah, but have we done that almost against any other team? Is it a little bit of a rope-a-dope sometimes where we know what we can do and we can explode and we can absorb? So I didn't think it would be 3-0. I did think we'd give up something. But McCarthy still making saves. And then, you know, tackles in the right place, blocks in the right place, and then defensive shape and no glaring losses of defensive assignments and set pieces. That's going to, in most games, spell where you don't give up more than a goal. But getting another clean sheet, impressive. My biggest concern from this match is the injury to Acosta. Looks like he took a pretty hard hit there. Let's just hope it was, you know, a a muscle contusion, something that will heal up pretty quickly. And it's not something that's going to keep him out for a very long time. Took a pretty hard knock that did not end up getting a whistle. And I have to say, the officiating in this match was laughably, laughably poor. And all throughout the game, it was very frustrating as there were probably three penalties that should have been given to LAFC that were not. And then late, there was a penalty that probably should not have been given to LAFC. And that's the one that ends up getting pointed to the spot on. And so uh, I don't know, man, I guess I have no clue what's a foul in the box right now and what isn't. But I do know that Opoku had himself a sensational goal to get us started. Denny Bowanga then said, hold my beer. I've got a world-class strike for you. Just week in and week out, this guy is putting goals in the back of the net. And I don't care if Olympic Marseille is coming and trying to buy him right now. It is just a joy to watch Denny Bowanga play. I don't think he's leaving anytime soon. Certainly not for the rest of this season. We'll deal with this offseason when it comes. But uh, fantastic goal from him. And then Maddie, Maddie Bogues showing up and, and taking the penalty. Were you astonished that Buanga, after earning the penalty, went ahead and gave the ball for Mateus Bogush to go ahead and get his first goal for the black and gold? I'm not surprised because I like Denis so much because he could easily, the way he's performing, start kind of raising hell in the, in the locker room, right? Wanting to be the number one guy, not letting Vela be the guy that kicks the spot kicks and making a fuss in that way. And now giving it up because he was the one that was fouled. Not not surprised. Also, going back to what you said about the penalty kicks, I do think this one was a makeup for maybe the other ones that were so glaringly obvious. And he's like, ah, I think that was a, yeah, it's contact. And then, the, you know, whatever. But happy with Mati Bogic, I could tell where he was going to kick it. I'm not going to say it didn't, but the pace and enough of his shot was to the corner where he put it away. So the technique was good. It was sound. His confidence is up. And I think it's a good investment in the future of matches that are coming quickly. I do think that him and Opoku are going to have to figure out who is the out-and-out starter, and that's good. That's good for us because they're going to be vying for that and you know playing their best. So all in all, getting both of them on the score sheet is so important for the next couple months so that we can be as successful as possible and lift up multiple cups this year like we will all want to see. I couldn't agree with you more. Getting him off the schneid is important. Making sure he gets that first goal, gets that confidence going in. And you really have to feel for their keeper. He got hands on all three goals. And all three of them went in. I mean, just an, an inch here or there. And we're walking out of there with a nil-nil draw thinking, wow, what an amazing performance from their keeper. And uh, 
unfortunate for him, glorious for the black and gold. We are now back up to a firm position in the standings with games in hand still to be able to make a run for a supporter shield. Not that that might necessarily be LAFC's goal this season, but it is definitely their goal to beat the team that they have before them, be it by first team, second team, academy kids. Doesn't matter. We're just rolling right now. It is definitely champagne football for the black and gold and an impressive, impressive midweek win in Monterey for the kids. They've, you know, I think uh, what was the term that uh, Marco used with us? Uh, Desired adversity. Right. And they definitely had their fill of it in that game. You know, giving up the 90th minute equalizer was just a gut shot Four or five minutes later. They went back up and it looked like all was lost until you know, our sub came in Mayala, and, and was able to, to tie that game up and send it to PKs. Just an epic, dramatic, gut-busting performance there. And it was kind of nice to have a, a little bit more of a snoozy game versus RSL where uh, we really didn't have to be on the front foot as much. We didn't have to chase the game. I think Opoku scoring early was exactly what the doctor ordered for this game. And it allowed us a chance to, to sit back. The physicality of the game frustrated me. And the fact that that was not adjudicated more to the point where I felt like some LAFC players were taking a lot of hits and not getting any whistles. And every time someone breathed on the back of an RSL player and they hit the deck, they seemed to be getting a whistle. But look, how many times throughout the course of the past five seasons have we talked about a frustrating ref that wouldn't give us calls and said that was the reason we lost a game in a game where, you know, it felt like we were playing against 12 we still ended up coming up with a 3-0 victory. And that that speaks to the talent and the depth that this current roster has. Totally. Desired difficulty. Desired difficulties. That's what it was. Yeah. Same that's thing. That's a great though. term. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wrote it down after I re-listened. And I put it on a post-it note. <laughs> Whenever I'm having like a tough moment, I'm like, oh, think about it this way. It really is. I Really. I mean, of all the brilliant stuff that Marco said with us, and if you haven't gone back and listened to our last episode, killer interview with our uh, director of football operations, Marco Antonio Garces. But that phrase really hung with me, uh, apparently not the exact wording of it, but but the desired effect of it. Yeah, I mean, that that was that stood out to me. Desired difficulties. I, I really like that term. And that's a great way to apply it to so many things in life. See football changing lives, making them for the better. I just thought of something when you said champagne football. Last time I think we said that was with Will Kuntz, who's a trader now. Not wrong. And he said it in the episode. I think we were talking about off recording about Pancho Ginella. And there was, I think, a non-confirmed rumor. But I think he's going to stay in Nacional for another year to finish out his contract, which I'm super happy about. So wanted to, you know, get your take on that. Because I feel like you probably have the same sentiment I do, where our midfielders are so stacked in terms of rotation, including our academy kids, that we don't need Poncho back. You know, the thought of Poncho coming back has not even really crossed my mind this season. I forget sometimes that he's out on loan and it wasn't a permanent transfer. I would be astonished if he got called back. I think it would take multiple injuries that we were not able to fill on a transfer market or with depth to call him back. I really don't think that's in the cards for LAFC this season, but that's a fantastic point. I had completely forgotten to consider the fact that he could be called back. I suppose if the injuries line up to this LAFC team, that's at least an option and it's nice to know, but I don't think the welcome wagon would exactly be rolled out for Poncho Ginella. No, no disrespect to the man, but he didn't really earn it here at LAFC. Yeah. No, I don't think his style of football and speed and strength 
in the games that he played here in MLS, jived with it. So yeah, I wanted to get your take because it looks like that's been extended for another year. I mean, there was people reacting in the same way we have just now online. Yeah. Uh, whoops. Forgot about that one. There was one thing about the Monterey Bay game that I forgot to discuss in our breakdown that that really did not sit well with me. And it, it ties in heavily to our next point here. I mean, that was the offensive goal kick chant being used by Monterey by accounts from some of the 3252 brethren that were up there. They approached them and asked them to stop and were met with some hostility when they approached them about how that term is inappropriate. When you consider the fact that you know, Mexico is is on the brink of receiving bans from being able to play in the United States of America, you know, potential points deductions in CONCACAF for this horrible term. The fact that a team here in California was using it so liberally really did not sit well with me during the broadcast and, and bugged me sincerely, especially as we head into Pride Month. And of course, the announcement that came out today of those beautiful Pride warm-up kits that will be worn by LAFC prior to our Pride Night game. It just, it still sickens me that there are people here in California that feel that this is an appropriate way to behave at a football game. And I just thought that, you know, like, I know we're still fighting this battle south of the border, but I really felt like north of the border, uh, we had kind of educated the people that need to be educated on this. We had a brilliant sound clip that was added into one of our episodes previously where a member of Pride Republic, Len Lonzi, former guest of the show, great dude, came on it and, and really offered what it means to the LGBTQ plus community when they hear that goal kick chant. And I really hope the folks at Monterey Bay get some schooling, get some education and are able to advance and grow past what is not just childish and sophomoric at this point, which is its origins, but it has become hate speech and it's become something that discriminates against a very significant portion of our community. And that just does not sit well with me when I was watching that game. And frankly, some of the comments that I, I, I see every time any professional team posts their pride jersey, pride night, pride anything, the comment section on those social media posts just get filled with some of the most vile hate speech that one could possibly experience. And, you know, to the point where through the show's account, we went onto uh, Instagram and kind of laid our foot down with people who are making these kind of discriminatory comments. And I really hope that this echoes exactly what the rest of the black and gold community feels at this point. Not only are we beyond this, but we should be doing our job to educate and police it as best we can in the comments section with our friends and whomever. But uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get down off my soapbox for this one. We are going to go ahead and take our first break, and we will be right back with Alex Morgan to help us get all prepared for this weekend's game versus the San Jose Earthquakes. <laughs> Hello, my name is Marco Arces. I'm the technical director of LAFC, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Joining us now as this week's opponent correspondent is Alex Morgan. He is the editor at Quake's Epicenter, the co-host of the Aftershock Podcast. Please give them a follow at Quake's Epicenter. Welcome back to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me, gents. It's uh, good to be back. And uh, two games against LAFC in, in really quick succession here for, for the Earthquakes. And what potentially might be two very good results for you, you've already got halfway there. So uh, congratulations on the win previously versus LAFC, by the way. And we'll see exactly what kind of roster you're going to be up against on the weekend, because if the predictions are true, it might be another LAFC two team taken on San Jose. But more on that 
in the future. At the moment, let's go ahead and get caught up on all things Quakes. So if you could, let's talk a little bit about the offseason. And first and foremost, we'd like to talk about the departures. Talk to us about the retirement of, of course, legend Shea Salinas. And then, of course, the transfer to Nashville of Jean Gregus. What holes did those create in the team? And were those concerns for the fan base going into the offseason? Yeah, so so I think it's important to contextualize those two moves in, in sort of the, the bigger narrative that was happening over the offseason, which is that you had brand new coach in San Jose, Luchi Gonzalez. He, he committed to join San Jose uh, you know, around September, October uh, last year at the, the the tail end of the 2022 season, uh, coming from the U.S. men's national team. He was a part of Greg Berhalter's staff that was at the 2022 World Cup with the U.S. men's team. Uh, and he started a new era. This is a new era in San Jose now. Uh, you know, the the Matias Almeida era is, is sort of in the rearview mirror now. You had uh, Alex Cavello taking over a interim for the the end of last season but this is the start of something new in San Jose he's completely revolutionized the way that this team is is playing you know whereas Almeida had a sort of you know really chaotic man marking uh, style of play Luigi Gonzalez his teams are all about structure defensive structure you know playing basically a mid block most of the time and looking at more patterns of play going forward uh, and so, yeah, the, 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 there was a lot of player movement over the offseason to, to help facilitate that transition. You know, Shea Salinas is a club legend, so um, everyone was sad to, to see him go and, and retire, but he's still around in the front office. So uh, his, his sort of uh, uh, presence still uh, is a part of this Earthquakes organization. Uh, Jan Gregorich just wasn't cutting it in the midfield. Uh, he, he didn't make the impact that people expected him to have. Uh, last season and so they they replaced him with uh, Carlos Grezzo uh, in the middle who's who's taken over uh, in that number six position it's now him playing alongside Jackson Ewell uh, in the midfield and the midfield is one of the most improved areas of the pitch for for San Jose I mean last season uh, the midfield never really felt like it figured it out they they never had like a solid nailed in uh, pair of starters in the midfield you had Gregush you had Ewell you had uh, you know, Judson all taking turns in the middle, but they didn't really figure out a, a, a solid pairing in there. But but that's completely different this season. Carlos Grez has fixed that. Now you have a really, really solid midfield with him and, and Jackson Ewell that uh, have, have succeeded really well this season. And I mean, you saw the way they played in the uh, first uh, fixture against LAFC, the 2-1 win at Levi Stadium. They were phenomenal. That was one of their best performances of the season. So if you want a, a taste of what they've been able to do, that's that's the where you should start because that was a, a phenomenal performance for them. And, and, you know, the sense in this new Luigi Gonzalez era is that there's just a lot more optimism uh, around the Earthquakes organization. So you're saying Luigi's fingerprints are all over the goings, ins, and outs. I think the other arrival you already mentioned, Carlos Grezzo, coming from FC Augsburg, Jonathan Mensa. So was that trade, do you think, also kind of sanctioned or within the thought of the manager? Uh, and he came via trade from Columbus. Yeah, 100%. That was actually a really, really late transfer because they had, uh, uh, going into the season, they were pegged to have uh, Rodriguez and Nathan uh, starting at center back, two Brazilian uh, center backs in, in San Jose. Uh, but then uh, in the preseason, actually against the Monterey Bay FC, I know that you guys were, were just down there for the Open Cup. On that field in Monterey, uh, Nathan uh, tore his ACL. And so he's out for the year 
uh, now. And so uh, they earthquakes had to go on the transfer market really, really late in, in preseason. I think that was like towards the end of February that they had to uh, make that move to, to get Jonathan Mensa in. And so, yeah, that was a, that was a, a coup really by, by uh, Chris Leach, the general manager and, and Lucci Gonzalez. And, you know, in the the old Matias Almeida regime, you know, Matias Almeida was very controlling of the uh, the transfer business. I mean, almost all of their signings were former players that Matias Almeida had coached, you know, at Chivas or at at other clubs. That's not the case anymore. You get the sense that there's a a, a much stronger, you know, uh, relationship between the general manager and the coach now between Chris Leach and uh, Luchi Gonzalez. So it's not to say that that Luchi Gonzalez has you know, sort of unilateral control over these decisions. But, you know, he's definitely, you know, helping pick players uh, who are going to fit uh, into, you know, his style of play, who are going to be able to, um, you know, fit with his vision of, you know, building out of the back with, with you know, strong, uh, you know, patterned play and, and also with maintaining really solid defensive structures. And, and Jonathan Mensa has shown that he's really, really good at doing both of those so far. Let's touch on the current form this season. You currently sit fifth in the West. Five wins, three ties, four losses for a total of 18 points. How has the performance resonated with the fan base so far this year? Would you describe people as content with sitting at fifth in the table and, and currently in a playoff spot? Are there aspirations for more or are people saying, my gosh, this is a great place to be? Yeah, so San Jose Earthquakes fans are really good at tempering their expectations. I know that you guys have it easy over uh, over at LAFC, but uh, you know, Earthquakes fans are not used to success, and they're used to bracing for the worst and and being maximally disappointed. So I, I think you know the, the the expectations are low. The expectations this season are really just to get into the playoffs because it's been so long since the Earthquakes have had you know a really strong team that's that's you know confidently made the playoffs. Um, and I think the team is, is you know, meeting those expectations. People are optimistic about the trajectory of this team. I think they're happy to be where they are right now in the, uh, in you know, fifth place with a, a solid run of form. And so the, the main concern at this point is just that the team is a little bit Jekyll and Hyde. They're really strong at home. They've actually, I think, the best record of any MLS team on uh, at, at home at PayPal Park. They've won five games. They are drawn one game at home. So at home, they're phenomenal. Uh, and, you know, home victories make the fans happy. So 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 that's kept the, the fan base content. That The issue is more on the road where they only have two points out of six games now. And uh, they're bad on the road. And, you know... The, the coaching staff has kind of gone through a, a list of possible explanations. You know, it's not the travel because they're losing to LA. They're losing when they're on the East coast. They're losing when they're in Portland, no matter what the travel distance is, they're performing poorly. No matter who the opponent is, they're performing poorly. No matter how they play, whether they're trying to be more aggressive and press forward or sit deeper uh, and play on the counter, they're performing poorly. It really feels like they just have a mental roadblock um, with these away games. And so that's something that's concerning for this team going into the uh, you know the match this weekend against LAFC is they have they just really haven't figured out how to play uh, on the road and you know they'll be able to 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 make the playoffs most likely um just based off of their their home form you know if they're able to win most of their games at home and you know get a a point on the road every now and again that's that's good enough to make the playoffs but if they want to aspire for more they're they're going to have to figure out how to win on the road and you know fan base is kind of just waiting for that to happen it, it feels like 
you know, they, they don't really know what's wrong. Luchi Gonzalez doesn't really know what's wrong. It's kind of a mentality issue in that maybe one day they'll wake up and that'll be gone and, and they'll, you know, magically have solved those issues on the road. So maybe that's this weekend, but, you know, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, the sample size of the last week actually speaks perfectly to what you just said, right? You beat LAFC at home, and then most recently you come down to Carson and have a loss. So I think although the season is, you know, one-third of, Along the way, I think you could extrapolate and probably the trajectory is right where you'll sit around this, you know, four to six, three to six in terms of how your home form and how your away form transforms over the course of the season. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, the the LAFC victory was one of the best, you know, earthquakes performances I've seen in a few years to beat a team that had been undefeated this season in, you know, pretty convincing fashion to have started really strong in that game, you know, then face some setbacks in the first half, but really over overcome those setbacks and figured out, you know, how to deal with uh, some of the challenges that Buanga was posing in that game. Some of the, um, you know, the play on the wing, the LAFC was, was doing, they were able to you know, make those mid game adjustments and then come back stronger in the second half uh, to, to, to really get a convincing victory. And and then you think, okay, now that you've handled LAFC, you can go and take care of the Galaxy. Um, but you know that wasn't the case, and and you know that that performance against the Galaxy last weekend was a, a real stinker. I mean, uh, they they never looked like they were able to get anything going. Um, didn't look like the game plan was just kind of executed poorly and the players weren't bought in and they didn't really look like they knew what they were doing. And the, the contrast between those two performances is just incredibly stark and, and really, really surprising. I couldn't agree more with that. I have not watched that many San Jose earthquake games throughout the course of this season. I obviously watched the game versus LAFC and I caught most of the game versus Carson. And I had the same feeling. I was like, this is the same team. I, it just, the possession looked completely different. Um, maybe that's all based on, you know, Ricky Pooch, uh, you know, doing his thing in the midfield there, which seemed like it, it, really stifled the midfield block but uh I, I digress this this is a show about this upcoming game and i want to talk about this upcoming game so given what transpired at levi's stadium just uh, a short time ago and extrapolating that forward to what takes place at bmo coming up what are the key matchups that you are looking for if San Jose is to repeat their success versus LAFC. Is it do more of the same? Are there some adjustments that you would like to see from the last match versus LAFC to this one? And where are those key points on the field where you feel like these particular matchups, either personnel-wise or tactically, are going to decide the game? I mean, it was such a strong wing. The Earthquakes really just need to go into the game with the same mentality, the same game plan, You know, which is to rely on guys like Christian Espinosa. If you're looking for a key matchup, it, it's Christian Espinosa on that right wing because, you know, he's in the running for, for MLS MVP. I think he's, you know, close to Buanga on goals. He has a bunch of assists uh, this season and, you know, he's San Jose's number one guy uh, on that, uh, on that right wing in the offense. He, uh, you know, I think he had the goal uh, in the first half against LAFC. Uh, and then he, uh, I think had an, uh, it was a part of the buildup for the, the penalty on the second goal. So everything really runs through, Christian Espinosa on the, the right side. And if LAFC can figure out how to shut him down, that's going to cause San Jose some problems because they're not as confident on that left side uh, with Benji Gakanovich starting on that left side. He's a guy who's really been lacking for form, you know, this, this season. And so if LAFC can make the earthquakes play through Benji Kakanovich, I think they're going to, they're going to make it difficult for the earthquakes going forward. Uh, Jeremy Abobasi 
uh, is also a, another guy who's key for the earthquakes going forward. The thing that the quakes did really, really well in that first game against LIFC was getting those forwards involved in the buildup. It was Jeremy Obobese dropping into the middle, you know, receiving the ball, laying it off, and then the earthquakes would switch it to the opposite wing. That's not something that the quakes are able to do successfully every game is get Christian Espinosa and Jeremy Obobese so involved in the, in the buildup with, you know, dropping back in the middle and, and, and being a part of those quick transitions. That's something that was, uh, you know, the best I've ever seen against LAFC last time. And, and if LAFC can, can prevent that from happening, then, uh, you know, the earthquakes are going to have more trouble, um, you know, trying to play vertically quickly in the attack and, uh, and, you know, they can, they can stifle the quakes going forward. And then, you know, the earthquakes also have, have holes, uh, you know, that, that can open up uh, at the, the back as well, uh, you know, against, against the galaxy for the first time, we really saw Rodriguez and Jonathan Mensa struggle. Um, you know, if you can get in behind the midfield uh, and put the midfield on the back foot, uh, then there's going to be some space opening up in zone 14, right at the top of the box. Um, you know, Jonathan Mensa and Rodriguez usually are pretty good about cleaning it up there. Um, but, uh, you know, the galaxy were able to overwhelm the quakes with numbers in the middle. And if, and if LAFC can, you know, flip that midfield battle and win the midfield battle at home, uh, you know, they're going to have a, a good opportunity to, to break those lines and, and get in behind against the earthquakes because the, the midfield, you know, last time uh, the quakes dominated in that, that two, one home victory, the quakes were pretty dominant in the midfield. So if LAFC want to, you know, fix it going forward, uh, that's, that's, I think where they're going to want to focus. We will cut that up and send it to Steve. <laughs> don't tell that to, to Luchi Gonzalez please <laughs> now I think the more frequently the two teams play I feel like there's going to be a crash course in the, in the playoffs and the more tape there is out there of San Jose and teams like LAFC that have weapons to be able to match up with a team in the way that you attack might be able to be more successful over time but right now San Jose is just more confident at home with that said since you are going to be away do you have a prediction do you think San Jose can replicate or take some things away in terms of what they did well at Levi Stadium and do that at BMO Stadium. I'm going to put the pressure on y'all. I think I think this one should be a, a two two zip two to one LAFC victory just based on on San Jose's away form. I have I have a tough time envisioning them going you know to LAFC and 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 getting three points. Um, but you know we'll, we'll see. LAFC is used to pressure, so I, I assume that 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 won't phase you guys but um um that's that's where i'm at heading into this game i i think if the earthquakes can get away with the, a draw they'd be they'd be pretty happy with that it is going to be a difficult week for lafc in that wednesday they're at home saturday they're at home tuesday they're at home three games in the span of seven days there has to be some significant rotation so i have to imagine from a a San Jose standpoint, when you found out that we were going to be playing Carson three days after we were taken on you guys, that that had to have been received with some elation up there, assuming that that means we are probably going to be resting a significant number of people on the weekend that we had not originally planned for. Uh, is that the sentiment up north? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think there's always a, a little bit of trepidation heading into these games. I think that you know, and an LAFC bench squad is 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 probably still a team that can be competitive against most uh, major league soccer sides. But yeah, the fact that that you know you guys are 
are playing in, in every single competition, I think still um, um, is, is, is definitely uh, something that, you know, the earthquakes hope that they can uh, capitalize on. And I mean, you know, drawing the galaxy is, is, is nice as well, because it means that at least one of you guys will be eliminated and, you know, fewer uh, Southern California rivals in the, in the competition. I hadn't looked at it from that perspective. That is some unique insight. We really appreciate that. Folks, uh, once again, our guest today has been a young Bob Dylan. Um, Excuse me. Our guest today has been Alex Morgan. He is the editor of Quake's Epicenter and the co-host of the Aftershock podcast. When he is not winning competitions as a young Bob Dylan lookalike, you can find him at Quake's Epicenter. We thank you so much for coming and joining us once again to help preview the Quakes. Folks, we are going to take our final break, and we will be right back with the final segment of today's show after this. Hey, this is John Thorrington, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All righty, Alex has got us all prepared for this weekend's game. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here since we are recording on Monday, and we've got a game on Wednesday, which should come out right around the same time as this pod. I want two. Utah, give me two. I want two predictions from you, sir. I want one for the midweek game and one for this weekend's game. So what's going to be your score prediction versus Sporting Kansas City? And follow that up with your score prediction for the Earthquakes. Sporting, I think it'll be... I'm going to go 1-0. And Stipe Buke, he's due. That is a bold prediction. I'm not opposed to it, but that's bold. All right, what about versus the Quakes, sir? Quakes, I think it's going to be rotated, and I am hoping for a 1-1 draw. Wow, a draw at home. This is a really tough one for me because one of these two games is going to be the heavy rotation game. And with just a couple days off after coming back from the altitude in Utah, it would be very easy to say that this midweek game versus a woeful sporting team. Now, now props to them and shouts to our friend Kevin Chill for, for them getting their first ever win on the season. Props to them for that. But you have to figure that's a game you would feel a little more confident rotating against when we're dealing with a team that's at the bottom of the table versus a team that is in fifth place and one of our rivals here within the West Coast. But just two days off prior to that big game at home, a knockout game versus the Galaxy. And I know a lot of people, and shouts to our friend at Defenders, who are saying, play the kids versus the Galaxy. I, on the other hand, am not in that camp. I would like to see the full A-team get their last run before Leon versus the Galaxy in that midweek game, which means you're going to have to rotate heavily the game before on the weekend. So I think we're going to see more of the first team in this midweek match versus sporting, which means we should absolutely demolish them. And since half our games this season have ended 3-0, I'm just going to go ahead and throw the 3-0 prediction on Wednesday's game versus Sporting. They are a really poor team that got one good game under their belt, but but 10 terrible games under their belt. And I, I just don't think they have the firepower to withstand even a rotated or beleaguered LAFC team. Now, when it comes to this weekend versus San Jose, that is the game, if I'm Dolo, that I'm throwing the entire MLS Next Pro team out there. And I'm going to do something that I never do on this show. I think we're taking an L this weekend versus San Jose. Not because San Jose is a better team, but because LAFC just can't afford to play the A team. 
maybe we'll get 15, 20 minutes out of a couple starters just to, to get some leg out. But I, I think the main focus has got to be the Galaxy next week. And so I think that means we're going to see the Torres, the Duenas, the Chris Ostomos, and the like all facing off against San Jose. And as much as I feel all of those kids have some really bright upside to them, the desirable difficulties are going to be a little bit more than they can overcome this weekend. And San Jose is going to eke out a 2-1 victory at the Mo. And I hate saying it. I hate saying it. My heart breaks and a little piece of me dies inside just to say it. But that's my thoughts. Am I, am I a trader? No, I think you're just being realistic. And I'll trade that loss for two wins, right? That loss keeping us fresh for the Open Cup match and then keeping us in rhythm for CCL. I would trade two losses this week for two wins. If the next two games are losses and the next two games after that are wins in that we lose to, to Kansas city, we lose to San Jose. I would take that. If that means we beat Carson in the open cup and we beat Leon down in Guanajuato, I, I would, I would make that trade in a heartbeat and at me for it. Uh, you know where to find us at LAFCS 2 S come at me for, for all these opinions here uh, at boozology for myself on all your socials. But that is my personal thoughts on the matter. Yeah. At us. And we'll put your tweets on a shirt. Because <laughs> if we get those two wins, one of them probably be a CCL championship and it's a banner. A banner for a tweet all day. Yep. Yep. Shouts to our friend Slippy. We love you, brother. Um, that about wraps it up for today's show, my friend. Unless you have anything else. I, I had my soapbox moment. Now is your chance. No, I I mean this this week, it's just it's just interesting to feel this feeling of being okay with the team not performing well in the league because we have, you know, a decent lead where we have two games in hand, second place, right? One point off the lead in the West. And then we have two cup games, two games of consequences. One is the first half of a final. So yeah, I don't care. Like, or I should say I'd care, but I'm not going to be disappointed if there's no results this week. So just being real guys, it's being real. Yeah. I would take five cups this year over a supporter shield. I guess the supporter shield is one of those. I would take the other four cups over the supporter shield if I was prioritizing them all. CONCACAF and MLS being the two most important to me. A US Open Cup would be a really cool thing to add to the trophy case. That's another banner that you get to hang, in my opinion, as well, too. You put that one up in the rafters as well, too. I would love to see that whole east end of the stadium just up in the rafters there. Banners wall to wall in our sixth year. That would be fantastic. But uh, that's going to go ahead and call it a show for us today. On behalf of myself, Jonathan, Christian, Chris, who could not be with us this evening, and the legend sound engineer, Wilton, we'd like to thank each and every one of you for tuning in to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. If you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, you can reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. We would love to hear how the black and gold has changed your life. With that, folks, thank you so much for listening. Take us home, sticks. Together, this our culture. Gonna force up a supernova. Stay flying that FC Dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fit. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.